Good morning, great men and women of God. I read about uh, an artist in 2004 named Michael Goh. He created this exhibit called Iconography. And what he did was he had an, he's in London, he had an actor dress up like kind of your typical Jesus. Like not what real Jesus looked like, but like what Jesus looked like when we were little kids and we'd look at pictures of Jesus. And he's long hair, big white clean robe and a sash. And he would have him walk around London just standing there or blessing people. And then he photographed the results. We have some photos of this. Can you find Jesus in this picture? Where is he? He's hanging out at the uh, bus station. I don't know what that is. And people are walking by. You see Jesus? He's crossing the street. So how do you think people responded to Jesus? Well, the photographer, Michael Goh, he said this. He goes, no one engaged him in conversation. People in the city have appointments to honor. They have meetings to attend. They have deals to make. They have lunch to buy. So Jesus walks around the city and everybody just acts like that's normal. One woman talked to him the whole day. She was a hostess of a strip club in Soho. Jesus started talking to her, or the guy playing Jesus. Soon she started to tell him all about her life, and she began to tell him about kind of what she was up to and how she was involved. And she said, you know, my, my mother believed in you, and by her nightstand she had a little statue of Jesus, and, and that's the only thing I kept when I left home, and I still have it today. Got me thinking about this, and I wondered this, why do some people welcome Jesus while some people just pass him by? As Jonathan mentioned, we are in a study right now in the Gospel of Luke, following Jesus as he goes from table to table. Because throughout this book of Luke, Jesus is either always going to a table, sitting at a table, or just coming from a table. We realize this is saying something to us because when we ask the question, why did Jesus come to the earth, he told us. He said, I came to seek, I came to save, I came to serve. And we asked Jesus, how did you come to this earth? And he said, I came eating and drinking. It was a meal gone wrong where we lost our connection with God and with each other. It was at a meal where Jesus promised he, everything would be right. And it's going to be a meal one day when we sit down and we look across the table and realize, okay, everything has finally been restored. I love what Leonard Sweet says. He says, you can actually summarize the entire Old Testament in three sentences. They tried to kill us. We survived. Let's eat. That's the Old Testament. And he said you could summarize the, three, the, the New Testament in three sentences as well. I love you. I forgive you. Let's eat. That's the New Testament. Today in Luke's Gospel, we're going to read about a host who wasn't very hospitable, and about a guest who really was. So I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 7. Let's have a seat at the table with Jesus, and let's have a little meal and see what happens. We're going to be in Luke chapter 7. We're going to actually start in verse 36. Luke tells us this. He said, a Pharisee asked Jesus to dine with him. And so Jesus went to the Pharisee's home, and he reclined at table. Remember, in Jesus' day, meals were the centerpiece of conversation and community. People would recline on couches. They didn't sit in high-backed chairs like this. They would lay down, and they would nibble. And they would eat things like rice and beans and wine and brown bread. And it looked something like this. 
Now this is, uh, that's not an actual photograph that Luke took, but uh, it, it's a little bit similar to what it would have looked like. That's called the triclinium because there are three couches. They're all just laying there and eating. And remember back then, instead of turning on the TV to, to, to watch the latest show or to turn on Netflix and catch a documentary, the, the entertainment at this meals was often found by inviting a guest. This guest would come in and they would have what they called a symposium. A symposium just simply meant, hey, let's eat and ask this guest questions. The guest would lecture, answer questions, debate, and this is how people would learn things. This is how people would, would grow in their understanding as a traveler would come. Well, hey, you've traveled far and wide. Come tell us about your travels. So we see here that Luke says a Pharisee named Simon was intrigued by this unconventional rabbi, and so he invited him to table to recline. So Jesus is now lying down with all these other people. We're expecting some high class, some polite, some intellectual conversation and debate. But then this happens. A woman from the town, a known what? Bad character. She discover, or discovered that he was there at table at the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of ointment and she stood behind Jesus' feet crying. So Jesus is kind of lying down, his feet are sticking out, and she kneels down and she begins to just cry. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Now, when I first read this, I thought, where is security? Right? You got a party crash here. Somebody could have been standing there. You got a fisherman, Peter, maybe somebody. Well, remember, uh, back in this day, uh, often doors were open. And I really have experienced this as I have traveled in some third world countries and realized that you're walking down the street of some place like Ethiopia or Haiti, and you walk up to a door, a, usually a door is open, and if you say hi, you often get welcomed in. You're a guest, an outsider. There's a great hospitable culture. And so it, it's no surprise that someone found out that Jesus was here. He's very popular. People want to slip in and meet this rabbi, shake his hand, get his autograph, maybe get him to bless you or something. So it's not a surprise that someone came in, but it's a surprise that she came in. A woman of known what? Bad character. Now, um, you may have heard some different teaching on this passage where people say, well, this woman did this for a living. She was a prostitute or she was this. But um, here's the reality. From what Luke chose to, told us, to, chose to tell us, we don't know. We don't know her age. We don't know her name. We don't know what she did to earn this reputation. Some people, like I said, think she's a prostitute, but she could have just been a greedy grandmother. She could have been an angry addict. She could have been a dishonest shopkeeper. We don't know who she was, and that's not the point. The point is the people at the party knew who she was, a known bad character. Now, known bad character is a nice way to say she's a sinner, and that means unwelcome. You know, as I read through this story, I just couldn't help think about this for a minute, this woman of known bad character. I wonder what would happen if she was sitting at our table today. She was sitting right here, and I said, hey, uh, lady, we don't know your name, woman, uh, who are you? Like, what's the truest thing about you? Do you think she would say, well, I'm a, I'm a woman of known bad character? How would she describe herself? How did she see herself? Well, clearly something has happened to her because she has come in here to honor Jesus with this jar of ointment. She can't even get it open, and she starts crying. Tears are falling. Now Jesus' feet are wet from her tears. And then she does something very shocking. She wiped the tears with her hair, kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. She lets her hair down, 
and tries to wipe his feet with it. Now, something about this culture back then is they were very modest, and one of the ways they expressed their modesty was women would wear their hair up on top of their head as a sign of respect. In fact, the time that the woman would take her hair down was usually on her wedding night in front of her husband. Okay, we're married, now I'm going to let my hair down. What does this say that this woman lets her hair down at a dinner with Jesus Christ? Now, I know you're thinking, that doesn't sound very shocking. Okay, let me give you a a parallel example. Let's say that this woman came in and started crying, tears on Jesus' feet. She looks around, can't find a towel. She just takes off her shirt and starts wiping up Jesus' feet. Now, do you feel a little inappropriate and awkward? Now, that's the party. But what would you expect? She's a woman of known what? Bad character. You know what Jesus should do? He should say, get away from me, woman. Get out of here. Or maybe you say, "I, I don't know her. I don't know why she's taking your hair down in front of me. I've never seen that before. Get her away. But what does Jesus say? And this awkward starts to become offensive. And it's so inappropriate that no one's going to say anything. Even Simon the host isn't going to say anything. But that doesn't stop him from what? From thinking it. The Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw what was going on. And he thought this. If this fellow really was a prophet, he said to himself, He'd know what sort of woman this was who's touching him. She's a sinner. Now remember, we're trying to show a little grace to the Pharisees in the book of Luke. The Pharisees loved God and they loved their country. And they saw the way their country was going. And they said, the reason our country is in the bad shape it's in is because we have stopped loving God. And if people would just love God the way that we tell them to, the way that we think that the Torah tells people to, if they will just follow our rules, we've got a foolproof plan, then God will make America great again. And if you follow our rules, then you are welcome, and you are part of us. But if you're not, then you are a sinner. So remember, they weren't using sinner the way you and I might hear today go, well, we're all sinners. Yeah, we, we're okay. No, no, no. A Pharisee would say, well, I'm not a sinner. I'm the, I keep the rules. She's a sinner. And sinners were not welcome at the temple in society, and they were not welcome reclining at a table. Here's a tweet from an actual Pharisee back then that we've recovered. (laughs) Spiritual people don't welcome sinners. Simon had invited Jesus to dinner. Why? Because he wasn't sure who he was. He wanted to find out. But now he's starting to figure out, well, I don't know who he is, but I'll tell you who he's not. He's not religious. He's not spiritual. He's not worthy. Simon's waiting on a Messiah who's going to bring a kingdom. Once they got that country back on track, then the Messiah would show up, bring a kingdom, put out all the bad guys, all the righteous people would get slapped on the back, and all the sinners would get shoved away from the table. And if Jesus is going to welcome her, then maybe he's just not a spiritual person. Now, what I love about this, and I I love thinking about how later uh, Jesus had to explain what he saw, this is all happening in Simon's mind. And then this man who Simon says, yeah, he's not a prophet, says this. Simon, I have something to say to you. Well, go ahead, teacher. And I like to think about this moment where Simon's heart isn't crushed yet, where he's just excited that Jesus is going to talk to him. And maybe he's thinking that he's going to get a request from Jesus. Simon, would you please take this woman away from me? Or maybe he's going to get a lesson. Simon, you know, we really should, should feel sorry for women like this and people like this. And instead... Jesus tells another story. Once upon a time, he said, there was a moneylender who had two debtors. The first owed him 500 dinars and the second a tenth of that. Neither of them could pay the moneylender and yet he let them both off. Which one will love him more? 
One guy owed the, the, the man $9,000. Another guy owed the man $90,000. And the man said, I forgive both of your debts. Who will be more grateful? And Simon says, well, the, the one he let off more of, I guess. Quite right, said Jesus. Then turning towards this woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see her? When I came into your house, you didn't give me any water to wash my feet. She's washed my feet with her tears, wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, a, a customary greeting of honor and respect, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet from the moment I came in. You didn't anoint my head with oil as someone who is blessed by God as perhaps a prophet, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. Simon, I'm your guest. If you thought I was a prophet, you would have washed my feet. You would have greeted me with a kiss. You would have anointed me, but you did not. On the other hand, this woman, who was not the host, she washed, she kissed, she anointed. So here's, here is the million-dollar question for you, Simon. Why did she welcome me and you did not? Simon doesn't have anything to say, but Jesus does. And he says something interesting. He says, so I've concluded something. Here's the conclusion I draw is this. She must have been forgiven many sins. Her great love proves it. But if someone's only been forgiven a little, they'll only love, what? A little. Jesus concludes, you know, this woman must have experienced the grace of God. She saw some kind of need in her life. She's realized that God is welcoming her, welcoming her through me, Jesus Christ, and she has been forgiven. And how do we know that she's been forgiven, Jesus says? What's the proof? What proves it? Her, say it together, her great love. Now, of course, Simon's lack of great love must prove something else, right? That's really the... the the lesson. He's not experienced forgiveness and welcome. And again, why would he? He's righteous. He keeps the Torah. He doesn't need to be invited to God's table. He's earned his way here. He just sits down right here. He's got a nameplate. Simon, his, this is his seat. But Jesus has just flipped the tables. And he says, you know who the real party crashers are? It's the righteous. You know who's welcome? The sinner's. Now, you think this would be insulting enough, but Jesus is not done. Then he said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Who is this? The other guests began to say among themselves. He even forgives sins? Your faith has saved you, said Jesus to the woman. Go in peace. So here's the story, and, and it ends right there. Jesus does not confront the sinner. He welcomes her. Jesus does not welcome the righteous. He confronts him. Why? Simon is looking to himself to his Torah keeping, and this is what makes him right. But this woman's just looking to who? Jesus. I'd suggest to you that true faith is not about Torah keeping, it's about forgiveness receiving. And until Simon would see that he is also a sinner, he could not be forgiven. And I think the thing that we might miss here is this, is that it's not like Jesus likes this woman and doesn't like Simon. I really believe that Jesus wanted the very same thing for both Simon and this woman, that they would base their identity on him. I'm a woman of known bad character, and I have been welcomed by Jesus. I am a Pharisee of great reputation, and I've been welcomed by Jesus. What is this story saying to us? Well, I want to give us a, a moment to kind of pause in between courses here, and we're going to digest a little bit of this story. Let me give you a moment to reflect with God as Tim is coming up to lead us into some music. We're going to have a moment of reflection with some questions up here.
let these questions guide your conversation with God, and then we'll come back and finish our meal in just a moment. you ever felt unwelcome? I bet all of us uh, have a story, a time that we showed up at a table and it got awkward because we realized we weren't really welcome there. I'm continually amazed by the condescension and the lack of humility in folks who are convinced they have this Jesus stuff all figured out. I don't know about you. Doesn't it seem like some people have this Jesus stuff all figured out? And they're right. They know it all. This is Simon. He had it all figured out. He said, there is a kingdom, and there is a table, and the people of that table are worthy of being there. And so he would draw circles around people's faith, and if you were inside the circle, welcome. If you were outside the circle, you were unwelcome. And he saw everybody as a label. He calls this woman sinner. But Jesus is bringing a kingdom where people are not worthy of the table, but they can be welcome to it. And so Jesus didn't see labels, he saw lives. I'd like to answer the question about, uh, the reflection question about who are you most like in this story by saying, well, I'm most like this woman, or I'm most like Jesus, but I'll be honest, I'm most like Simon. I, I'm, I'm amazed at my own arrogance when I see certain people and I just think, at least I'm not like them. Then I realized this, God's people have always struggled with welcoming others. That's been a struggle for us. We've tended always towards drawing circles. We always want to clarify who's in and who's out. It's a real big deal for God's people. You go all the way back to the Old Testament, and God created this nation. He said, you are my people, and the reason I've created you is I want you to be a blessing to the nations. And then you read constant rebukes by God on these people. Why? Because they had a lack of compassion and welcome for their neighbors. The Pharisees, like Simon, drew a tight circle. You can't follow God unless you follow him like we do. And if you don't follow him like we do, then you're a sinner. And then you have these people that start to put their faith in Jesus Christ, these first followers. And they assumed that, well, Jesus is the Messiah. He's here for the Jews, so only really Jews are welcome to become followers of Jesus Christ. 
Gentiles, you're outside the circle. And then the Gentiles started coming in, and they began to push the Jews out. And they said, well, no, actually, it's about us. We're the ones, and you're on the outside. Then you flash forward to times in our nation like the 1860s where Christians would stand up with the word of God in their hand and they would say, slavery is God's desire. It's how it works. And if you're on this side, then this is how it works. And if you're on that side, you're not welcome. The 1920s, there were Christians drawing circles around welcoming women to vote. Women can't vote. They, they, they're on the outside of the circle. You know, in the 1930s, there were Christians in Germany on both sides arguing for and against Nazism and the rise of Hitler. And there were people that were saying, no, 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 this is the circle. And no, 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 this is the circle. And there were believers in the midst of that. Over the last century in our nation, you could see signs like these hanging in different places in our country. And often those signs were hung up by... uh, People who would be at church on Sunday singing songs like Jesus paid it all or all to him I owe. In the 1980s, Christians began to draw circles around political positions. Well, you, you can't be a Christian and vote for that. You can't be a Christian and vote for her or him. You can't be a Christian and not stand against that. You can't be a Christian. That's the circle. Now it's 2017 and we finally solved the problem, right? No. We're still drawing circles around issues like immigration and race and sexuality. And and, and not that those aren't worthy topics, but we have these self-appointed spokespeople for Christianity who get up and they say, we are now declaring this, and if you don't agree with us, you're outside the circle. Can we agree to disagree? No. God said it, our interpretation settles it, and the Pharisees ride again. Sometimes I wonder this, has anything really changed or have we just changed the groups that are outside the circle? And I come back to this meal at Simon's house and I just wonder, is this meal calling us to something? Maybe instead of drawing a circle, we need to draw up a chair. Maybe Jesus is calling us to repent of deciding who does and does not get access to him. Maybe we need to take a hard look at ourselves and see if we are guilty of the sin of Simon. What was the sin of Simon? Thinking I'm worthy and you're not. Here's the sad twist. Here's here's what Simon was missing. Simon would not welcome anybody outside the circle, but he failed to realize that he was outside the circle. And as long as he held on to his sense of superiority, his place at the table, his belief that he was right, he would never be welcomed in. Then you had this woman. She clearly had her theology wrong. She's clearly got her morals wrong. She has all her social conventions wrong. But she has one thing right. She could humble ourselves, humble herself at the feet of Jesus. So where do we start to follow Jesus to the table? Maybe we're thinking it starts by admitting something that Simon couldn't admit. And here it is. We have not earned our place at the table. We are not worthy, but we can be welcomed. Say that with me. We have not earned our place at the table. We are not worthy, but we can be welcomed. Isn't that the story of Christianity? A tale of orphans becoming heirs, of strangers becoming citizens, and of lost sons coming home to a welcoming father, of Jesus eating good food with bad people, of being welcomed to tables when we have no right to be there. And I wonder for Simon, what would it take for him to get it? Sometimes it takes a table. 
I wonder what could have happened if Simon had sat down with this woman and heard her story. If he listened to her before he labeled her, maybe he would realize, you know what? We both need to be welcomed by Jesus. So if we're going to follow Jesus here at Pulpit Rock, we've got to be people who welcome people to the table where no one's worthy but all could be welcomed. So I want to, I want to close by giving you an example of this, but let me tell you one thing that I'm trying. So one thing that I, I think is trying to help me in some of my arrogance and the way that I look at people and my Simonishness. I keep telling myself this sentence. I'm not here to evaluate worthiness. I'm here to extend welcome. It's not my job to evaluate people's worthiness. I'm just here to extend welcome. And this means when I sit down at a table, I'm trying to assume I don't have all the Jesus stuff figured out. But Thomas, didn't you go to seminary and they told you all the right answers? I don't have all the Jesus stuff figured out. Well, Thomas, you're a pastor of a church. Why in the world are we listening to you? I don't know. I don't have all the stuff figured out. I'm not worthy, but I've been welcomed. Does that mean I don't have beliefs or convictions? No, I believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I have core convictions about what is good and what is true and what is important and what is not important. But I still find myself drawing circles. Last night, Jessica and I shared table with a couple. Found out he's an atheist and she's an agnostic. It's like a bar joke. An atheist, an agnostic, and a pastor walk into a bar. And there would, have, there would have been a day where that conversation could have been awkward, but I just feel like Jesus was saying, hey, don't worry about this. He says, hey, a lot to me. Don't worry about that. Extend welcome. That's your only job at the table. Extend welcome. And sure, there may arise an opportunity to tell them what Jesus told would happen to his disciples. If you will sit down and eat with people, you will get a chance to tell them, quote, God's kingdom has come close to you. But my first job is to be humble, to listen, and to welcome. So let me give you an example of someone who's doing that well in our church. I love this story. Charlie and Jody Pine. You guys know them? They're a couple in our church. They've served for years in China. Charlie was working on his Ph.D. In China, they had numerous opportunities to host Chinese Muslims in their home. I didn't even know there were Muslims in China, but that is a people group that they welcomed in their home, built relationships. They've moved back to the United States, and they continue to try to show Muslims the same hospitality as they did overseas. So Charlie befriended this Egyptian guy here in the Springs. His name is Muhammad. And he's met him at the table many times. They've drank tea together. They've discussed the kingdom of God. At one of these meals, Charlie said to Muhammad, hey, would you like to help me and join me in volunteering down at Lutheran Family Services? That's the group in town that when refugees come to our city, they help them. They help them find an apartment. They help them connect with jobs. They help teach them how, how to shop in our weird stores and all that kind of stuff. Muhammad said, you know, if, if the family is Arabic speaking, we, we could help translate for them. Charlie said before he left that night, Muhammad thanked him. He said, thank you for inviting me. He said this, now I just go to work, I come home and go to sleep, but something like this will be good for my life. Now, the refugee thing didn't pan out because some, some things happened in our city and it just didn't work out, but Charlie has stayed friends with Muhammad, and he has another friend of Muhammad's and another Egyptian named Ahmed. And on Monday of this week, Charlie gets a text from Ahmed. Charlie, I'm so sorry I have not invited you over for dinner recently, but my dad had a stroke, and I'm with him now in Memorial Hospital. Charlie texted back, is it convenient for me to come and see you at the hospital? And Ahmed replied back, you are so welcome. I'm always considering you as a family. I love that. I'm always considering you as a family. Now, 
almost that politics or whatever aside just a minute. It, wouldn't it be easy to draw a circle where Muhammad's on the outside? But the pines, instead of drawing a circle, are drawing up a chair to the table and saying, we're going to welcome you. You can belong before you believe. Great men and women of God. I think the lesson today from Simon is this. It's not about seeing ourselves as worthy and other people as not. It's about seeing ourselves as welcomed, and therefore our job is simply to welcome. So let me ask you this before I pray. Who's outside your circle? Who would be awkward to have at your table? What would happen if you welcomed them? You know, we asked that question earlier in the service. Why is it some people welcome Jesus and some people pass him by? I just wonder this. Maybe when we welcome others, we are welcoming Jesus as well. And it starts with the humility to see that we don't have this Jesus stuff all figured out. That we need Jesus' welcome just as much as the next guy. And to find that sometimes, it takes the table. Let me pray with you. Lord, thank you for Muhammad. Thank you for Ahmed, these two Egyptian men living in our city, trying to raise family and do jobs and follow their faith. I want to thank you for Charlie's relationship with them. I pray for opportunity for the conversation to turn again to God's kingdom is close to you. I pray for Muhammad and Ahmed to see that Jesus Christ is more than a prophet, that he is the God that they have been looking for. I thank you for all of us as we have different tables in our workplaces and at fire pits and at countertops and at desks and at our own homes. I pray that we would be people who come to the table and we say, I am not here to evaluate worthiness. I'm just here to welcome. May we be people who eat with anyone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.